we're in a series called Conversations. And we've been having different conversations. And today we're going to talk about a conversation with our God. Life is about conversations. When I've had a great day or a great experience or have done something significant and I reflect on what I've done, always it centers around a meaningful conversation. In a conversation, we exchange information, we exchange ideas, we exchange stories. This exchange makes us better people. We get to know somebody else, but someone else gets to know us. It's a give and take, and we undervalue how rich a conversation can make our life. There's all types of people to have conversations with, but today we're going to talk about having a conversation with our God. And conversations have a rhythm about them. Conversations have a life cycle. You don't typically jump into a conversation and go deep immediately. There's a process that happens. And one of the ways we're going to frame this process is by looking at a scripture, a scripture that is pretty familiar in Christendom, but I want you to see it in a new way, in a new perspective. And that's Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Revelation chapter three, verse 20, Jesus is being quoted. And if you have a Bible, you'll notice that this phrase is in quotations and it's in red, meaning Jesus said it himself. And here are the words. You can read it on the screen or read it on your Bible, in your Bible or on your phone. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Look at the first part of that verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is the first phase of a conversation. The first phase of a conversation is initiation. Somebody has to start the conversation. And that's something I do a whole bunch. In fact, I really irritate my children because everywhere we go, I'm starting conversations and evidently this is embarrassing to them. If we're at a department store and a clerk is checking us out, I might ask something like this. How long has your shift been today? How much longer do you have to work? Kids get embarrassed by that. If, if I'm down in the West End area and around college students, we're at a sporting event, I might ask them, where's your hometown? Where, where, where are you from? And that initiates a conversation. If I'm in Nashville eating at a restaurant and someone's waiting on me, I'll ask the waiter or waitress, how long have you been a musician? It's just a natural conversation starter. It always works. So that's one of the things I do in life. I like to start lots of conversations, but there is an exception. There is an exception. There's one place that I don't think anyone should ever start a conversation at, and that is inside of an airplane. Conversations should cease inside of an airplane. Of all the regulations that the FFA has established to restrict our activities on airplanes, the one they have overlooked is conversations. To me, when I'm in an airplane, I, I travel occasionally or, or, or fairly regularly. And when I travel, I love being on an airplane because it is sacred and holy time for me. 
No one can get a hold of me. I have a good excuse why I didn't return a call in an in a immediate manner. And so about 30 minutes before my flight takes off, I start getting really, really grumpy and try to put on my most unappealing, most unfriendly face possible. And then if I'm flying Southwest Airlines, in which you have an opportunity to pick your seat, I start scouting out the terminal to find the meanest looking, nastiest dude who does not want to talk. And that's the guy I'm going to try to sit by. So when you're on the airplane and you don't want to start a conversation, never, never say hello. I mean, never say hello. Because if you say hello to a talker, your flight is ruined from that point on. On top of that, never, ever mention the weather. Because if you bring up the weather to a talker, your flight is over. So what I do is I wait until the flight attendant says, prepare for the descent, prepare for landing. And then I may start a conversation on the back end. And so that's not really the best thing to share with you. But the point is, other than that, most of the time I initiate conversations. And conversations have to start somewhere. Someone has to start the conversation because if no one starts the conversation, the conversation won't take place. Here's my first observation from this passage today is God initiates. God initiates a conversation. This scripture is so meaningful to us because it doesn't make sense and it's not the way it should be. We should be the ones pursuing God. But the truth is God is really pursuing us. God is initiating a conversation and he comes to our lives and he comes to our lives and he wants to get our attention. And I want you to know something that I believe God has you in this service today. God has you in this church. God has you alive right now because God is trying to get your attention. God is initiating a conversation with you. It might not be a conversation you're wanting to have. It might not be a conversation you're ready to have, but if you allow yourself to open your ears and open your heart, you're going to hear that God is at the door of your heart. And he's knocking. Now scripture is clear that it's not just a knock. It's a knock and it's a voice. Let's look at that again. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. See God, when God gets involved in your life, God, his hand gets involved in your life. And if you have an open heart, you'll begin to see that God's knocking at your door. His hand, his hand is involved in your situation. And God's speaking into your life. And his voice is speaking to your situation. Because he is initiating a relationship with you. He is initiating contact with you. Now this scripture has a couple of layers historically. This scripture has been given evangelistically, talking about our personal relationship with Christ, and that is going to be our primary focus today. But for those of you who have been Christians a while, I I do want to make note to this, that contextually, this scripture was given to churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And really what this scripture is also saying to us church, it's saying to us as a corporate body, it's saying 
to us as a believer that Jesus is at the door of our church and he is knocking and he is initiating. Jesus wants to get in. Jesus wants to get involved. Jesus wants to be the center of this service. Jesus wants to be the center of our worship. Jesus wants to be the center of this sermon. Jesus wants to be the center of our children's ministry and our youth ministry and our 242 groups. Jesus wants to be the center of our women's Bible studies. He is knocking at the door of everything we do and it's up to us whether we're going to respond the way he wants us to. God initiates. God initiates and knocks at the door of our heart. When Beth and I first were married, we were youth pastors at a church in this area. And we had a condominium down in Rivergate behind what used to be the media play. I'm not sure what it is now. And it was a real joy to start our marriage there. The kids in the youth group and the kids in the college group knew where we were. And so we would often have uh, students and people from the church drop by, and that was great. But this was an era of our life that we call BC, before kids, even though that's okay, sorry. Before children, thank you. BC, before children. I might have made that mistake in the first service, but we're on target on this one. And before children in the BC years, if we wanted to, it was possible to sleep in. That possibility has been gone for about 13 years now. In addition to that, now that I'm in my 30s, I found that when I want to sleep in and have the opportunity to sleep in, I can't sleep in. And that's just one of, I guess, the bummers about getting older. Even when you need extra sleep, sometimes you can't get extra sleep. But back in those days, I remember a couple of times when we were trying to sleep in and we heard this. The reaction was, don't move a muscle. Be real still. Some of the students figured out which window was our master bedroom, and they'd come knock on the window. Don't move. Be still. See, it's one thing to hear the knock and hear the voice, but it's another to get out of bed and go open it. This is what Jesus says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. God initiates, but here's the second observation, I respond. God initiates, but I have to respond. When I talk about responding before we get all prideful as if we're in control of this whole deal, the ability to respond, the ability to respond to grace comes from God anyway. So let's not get arrogant and haughty and prideful as if in we're in control and God, God is succumbing to our wishes. But I will say this is the ability to respond to God's initiation, the ability to respond to God's call comes from him. And once God gives us a call, we have the opportunity to respond. But in order to respond, we have to go to the door and we've got to open the door and we got to say, God, I'm ready for everything you have. Church, as a church, we have to open our door every time and let the Holy Spirit come in. Let Jesus come in. Let Jesus get involved in the activities of this church. Let Jesus get involved in the plans of this church. Behold, I stand at the, no the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, God initiates, I respond. About 200 years ago, there was a piece of art that captivated, captivated England. This piece of art actually 
was so popular that it went on tour across America. It's called The Light of the World. And there's a man named Holman Hunt who painted this picture. And he claims under inspiration. And it's going to be a little hard for you to see some of the details of the picture. But this is Jesus, the light of the world. And I have, man, I feel powerful. I have a laser here. That's Jesus. And that's the light. And this right here is the door. Now, the, one of the reasons this painting is meaningful to me is I saw the original painting at Oxford University as I get my third doctorate there. Just joking. But uh, no, I was at Oxford in 96 when I was in college touring and I saw the original painting of this. And we talked about this painting quite a bit. Here's, here's Jesus. Here's the door. Do you see the, the vegetation here are the weeds indicates this door hasn't been opened in a long time. This door, here is Jesus knocking at the door. Can I just tell you that knocking on the door can be really awkward? I mean, poor Jesus is there knocking at the door, but the door hasn't been opened in a long time. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd go knock at the door? You're trying to sell cookie dough for your school so you don't have to pay the PTA fees. And you're knocking on the door and you're wondering, is there a Doberman pincher behind that door? Is there a gun behind that door? Is there a cranky old lady behind that door? Is there money behind that door? And, and you knock. And it's just a very, very odd experience. Jesus is having that experience. Jesus is having that odd experience knocking at the door, waiting to go in. There's one time I was at Jackie Chapman's home for a party. She's one of our missionaries. And Beth and the three kids, all five of us went. And it was there at Jackie's house that there was a medical, medical condition that reoccurs and it comes into my life from time to time. And it emerged that day because there was a cat in that house. And I am deathly allergic to cats. And some of you have contributed to my allergy because you have let these dreadful animals live in your home. So my throat is swelling. My eyes are red. Things aren't going well. And so Jackie says, I have some Benadryl. Do you want to take a couple of pills? So I said, sure, why not? It, well, it helps. She said, yeah, it's going to help you. So I take these pills. That was the first time we realized that's not a good, a good idea for me. Me and Benadryl just don't mix. As the party went on, these guys down here, these are my two boys down here, there were all kinds of little dainty sandwiches that they were not interested in. It was good stuff, but they had no interest. So I said, guys, you want to go to Burger King? They're like, we're in, Dad. Let's go. So I take the guys to Burger King, and I start acting a little strange. And we go back to the home, and... And I start walking up the, the driveway to the door. And Luke says, Dad, it's in Jackie's house. I was like, shut, son, shut up. I know what I'm doing here. Said, yeah, of course it is. You don't know what's going on. As we walk closer, Lincoln's like, Dad, I don't think this is Jackie's house. I said, of course it is. So there I go, knock, 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 knock. And it was at that point that I realized that this house was completely dark. Completely dark. At this point, I realized that there were no cars outside uh, at this party that I was supposed to be at. And I sit there, and before I know it, someone answers the door, and I realize that in my drug-induced state on Benadryl, I've gone to the wrong home, and that was the beginning of something that I can never have ever again because there's been other tests. That's not a good thing. It is awkward to stand at a door and knock, especially if you're at the wrong house. 
But it's awkward for us all. Think about this. Think about our God is knocking at the door of our heart and we're making him wait. Usually when you knock and you don't get a response, you leave. You knock and you get a response, you're out of there. But God is so patient because the human heart, the human heart is closed off to God. The human heart is not inclined to respond to God. The human heart doesn't want to open to God. But look, look at Holman Hunt's painting once again. Here it is. I know it's hard to see everything. Here it is, Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And what made this painting particularly uh, poignant to people is this, is that on this door right here, there's no handle. Something that as people look at this painting, and I remember being asked that when I saw the original, what about this painting do you not notice? What about this painting do you notice? And you notice that there is no handle. The idea Holman had, Holman Hunt had was that the handle was on the inside. God initiates, but I respond. And then here's the last thing that I want to say to you. When God initiates and I respond, then we share. And we share something very special. And we share a meal together. Look at the passage one more time. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. That is what God has called each and every one of us to participate with him in a meal. And before you think that this is just some type of simple request, let me frame this for you and help you understand that sharing a meal with someone is a sign of friendship. You don't just share food. You share stories and you share your life with one another. Traditionally, food is always come in big containers, not, not necessarily served at individual plates like we do in most restaurants today. Family style. So everyone, everyone takes a portion from the same bowl and everyone takes meat from the same cut and everyone pours drink from the same pitcher. And the idea is, yes, we're doing something we have to do to metabolize food and, and, and drink so we can live, but it's more than that. We're sharing our lives with one another. That's why if you ever have met international friends who couldn't speak the same language as, as you have, a meal will speak a language, will speak a language that words can't speak. At the culmination of history, Revelation 19 verse 9 tells us a little bit of a glimpse of what's going to happen. Only God knows when this is going to happen and how it's going to happen, but this is going to happen. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Can I tell you, God has initiated a conversation with you. And when I respond and you respond, then we share a meal, a meal together, the marriage supper of the lamb. I want to invite our ushers to begin to prepare for us to have the Lord's supper together. This is a foretaste. This is a forerunner, a first fruit of what Revelation 19.9 spoke about. When on that day, we will, we will have a meal with our God. 
Our God, by his grace and by his sovereign plan, has initiated a relationship with us. He's given us a chance to respond. He's given us a chance to open the door of our hearts, and we will share a meal with him. We will share with him our lives. We will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at that supper, Jesus Christ will be the guest of honor. And at that supper, we will share with his glory. Not that we'll ever be equals, for he is Lord and God and King, and we can't compare to him. But we know that because of what he's done, we have a right to the table. And I want you to know that every single one of you have a right to the table. Every single one of you have a chance. Every single one of you have an invitation. Every single one of you have an open seat. The invitation from God, if you hear my voice right now, whether you're right here, whether you're listening to the podcast, and you hear my voice right now, I believe God has invited you. He has set a table for you that there is a marriage supper of the Lamb. And behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and I am going to have supper with him. I'm going to eat with him. I'm going to share my life with him. That's the invitation that has been before us. That's the invitation that we've responded to. That's the reason why we're going to take the Lord's supper in just a couple of minutes. And we're not going to do it in a way that some dead ritualistic symbol. Yes, it is a symbol. But it's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of victory. Christ died for our sins. Christ was a substitute for our sins. But he didn't die just a martyr's death. He didn't die just a death for a good cause. He died with purpose. He died with authority. He died, and when he died, he conquered Hades. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. And he proved that because on the third day, Christ was resurrected again. Our God is not dead. Our God is not in a tomb. Our God is not a historical figure. Our God is not just a good teacher and a prophet. Our God is alive with resurrection power. He's alive today. He didn't stay in the grave. He didn't stay in the tomb. He's alive today. And he said he will come again. He will physically, visibly, appear on this earth and he will come again and appear to us and that is our hope that is the invitation we have this conversation we have with God God didn't have to seek us God didn't have to initiate a conversation God doesn't have to knock on our door but by his grace and by his choice and by his power he's knocking on the door of our heart and so I say wake up Don't stay in the bed. It's not enough just to hear his voice. It's not enough just to hear the knock. You have to wake up. Wake up, church. Wake up, believers. Wake up, those who are rebellious against God. Wake up, those who have resisted his will. Don't ignore his knock. Don't ignore his call. Get out of your bed and by his grace and by his sovereign plan, open the door to everything he has. That's what God wants you to hear today. Revelations 3, 19. Put it up one more time. Behold. I stand at the door at 320. Thank you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Will you pray with me? In just a moment, God, we're going to take the bread. Ushers can go ahead and position themselves. We're going to take the bread that symbolizes your death, resurrection, and return. And we're going to take the cup that symbolizes your death, resurrection, and return. And Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts. As you're listening to me, I want you to say, I want you to hear this. Every single one of you are invited to take communion. You don't have to. If you want the bread and cup to pass, just let it pass. 
But if you take the bread and if you take the cup before we eat and drink, today we all are going to repent. We're all gonna make things right with God because he's knocking at our door and we'll never be good enough. We'll never be worthy enough. But Jesus has cho- he's chosen us. He's at our door. And so by his grace, we'll open it today. And communion's a way to open that up. So Father, prepare our hearts for what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Hold the bread, hold the cup.